welcome back to the podcast. It is time to do the second half of the record with the second side, the next six songs. And these are kind of a different sound. And I think they were totally right to place these next six songs in the ending because each one of them is even more diverse than the first six, I would venture to say. Uh, which felt more cohesive in general than these. Each song is super complex and different from one another. Like, there's a real change from one song to the next. And it's also a group of more solo songs where each of the artists kind of get their own their own time to shine with their vocals on this side of the record. Whereas most of the A side of the record was kind of shared. And yeah, this one is more individual. I also want to celebrate Happy Grammys Day. I'm so proud of Boy Genius. They got nominated for six Grammys. I woke up this morning at 8 a.m. And and I could not. I was so excited because there was speculation for sure that the boys were going to get nominated. They've been, they've taken over this year's music. But six nominations. That's as many as Taylor Swift. That's crazy. And Phoebe was nominated for seven, including collaboration with SZA on Ghost in the Machine off of SZA's album SOS, which is like so impressive. I'm so incredibly proud of her and Julian and Lucy. They deserve this so much. Their, you know, first Grammy nomination. It's just such a great honor and I'm so proud of them for they're incredibly talented and they would be no matter what kind of critical acclaim they received. But the fact that they are the chance that they have to be nominated, I'm sure feels like such an honor and I'm so proud of them. I really feel like I know them sometimes. Like I I feel so lucky to exist during the time that they do and get to witness their growth and see them receive the love that they and appraisal that they deserve. And with that I'm gonna get into this next song on the record, track seven, which is called Revolution Zero. Uh this song is was my favorite when I first listened to the record. It's a sounds a lot like a Punisher song. It is solo sung by Phoebe except for the background vocals and it's very the lyrics the sound it feels super like a like a song off of Punisher and I really love that we got a little bit of that into this album I listened to an interview with them the other day where they were talking about how their songwriting process is so different like Lucy has a billion songs she says that she imagine I cannot just... imagine <laughs> can't imagine (laughs) like like i always say when i put out a record people talk about b-sides or whatever i'm like no i wrote 10 songs Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's what's on like i i don't have any songs that the world hasn't heard really i can't imagine that i have so many songs that's insane i feel like are not even bad songs but i am not ready for the responsibility of having to share them and answer for them wow oh man i'm that's for me. But you until finished, I get the guts. You finished like your turnaround time. And it's so interesting that all three of them have such a different songwriting process and they're such different people and their music independently is so incredibly different from one another and they so are yet so cohesive and go together so perfectly. Like their band in itself is made up of three totally different types of songwriters and I just think that's a really cool note to see that we've heard everything Phoebe's put out if she's telling the truth, which I'm assuming she is. And this is one of those songs that she put out. I'm not sure if it was initially meant for the record, but it feels like it could have been on Punisher just as easily. It was originally titled Paul is Dead, 
which is a reference to, I think it's a, I don't want to be a speculative person too much and read into their personal life too much. I know I already do that a lot. And especially when it comes to relationships, I know it's not my place to read into what is theirs and is personal and private. But it was, you know, in media, in the press, that Phoebe Bridgers was with Paul Mescol, the actor from Normal People, for a good amount of time and that they were engaged and they're now separated. I think that it's not a coincidence that this song was originally called Paul is Dead. We know that Phoebe references the Beatles in her music and likes them. And so, you know, obviously it's just a reference to the Beatles song, I'm So Tired, which is a common theme in Phoebe's music talking about exhaustion. But I also think that there is a possible coincidence, just like with Emily, I'm sorry that this could have been another name title, which I'm I think it's good that she changed it because it makes it more interpretive. But yeah, it, this was originally called Paul is Dead and there's it could be said that the reason that it was called that was because, you know, after the breakup with Paul Mescal, she felt a similarity of, I don't know, heartbreak and grieving the same way as if he was dead, just like in, you know, the Beatles song where John Lennon's sing, singing that, even though it's not true. Anyways, the song is called Revolution Zero, and the name is an anomaly to me. I don't understand exactly what the reference is. Obviously, Revolution is a Beatles song. There's Revolution 1, and so I'm wondering if that's just one more Beatles reference by saying it's Revolution Zero. And Phoebe said it's about falling in love online, and this kind of is the last thing I want to say about Paul Mescal, because like I said, it's not my business to speculate. It's not anyone's business. It's hers. But I will say, like, she and him did theoretically fall in love online because we saw it kind of happen as, you know, people in media on social media watched it because she first tweeted that she really liked normal people and said something about Paul Mescal and he tweeted back and then they kind of started talking through that and then they did an interview where they met for the first time over the phone, over Instagram Live, and we all got to see them kind of converse for the first time and, you know, it was very... It felt very personal and it felt truly like, wow, this is our, the time that we're alive where we get to see these two people literally meet for the first time. We see their first interactions. We see them fall in love. We see them get engaged and we see them break apart. Like it's so, for, especially for Phoebe Bridgers, who is noted that she really hates a lot of fame because she's always in the press. It feels very unlucky that her relationship was so much based on and being online you know they were in different industries and art they were in different places yet their relationship really began from an online world and I think that has something to do with why it's called revolution zero as well that being put aside I think the most one of the main influences for this song was Elliot Smith which is another reason why I think this song could be like on Punisher because obviously Punisher is a lot about Phoebe's love and idolism of Elliot Smith and I think this song is also about loving somebody that you don't know even beginning with the first line she says imaginary friend you live up in my head and this really does connect to the line from Punisher
you know, the meaning of when people have an unequal love for one another in a relationship where one person idolizes and values the other a lot more than their partner does in return to them. And they, or they put it too much emphasis on the relationship and meaning into it when it really isn't all that deep and and I think a lot of people can understand that sometimes relationships are not um equal in how people feel about one another and I think yeah imaginary friend you live up in my head is like a hyperbole of how you could love someone in it so much and they love you so little in comparison that it can feel like an imaginary friend in a one-way relationship who's where most of the relationship is actually just in your head, whether it's imagining things that aren't happening or it is just replaying all the memories to keep the relationship alive when it's and reading too much into everything and every word in your relationship when you know, in fact, the other person's not doing the same thing. And then it's also like, you know, when you feel a real connection to an artist and somebody you love and just like in Punisher, when you realize that person has no idea who you are, it can feel very upsetting. And also, you know, just a realization that you need to check yourself because you're loving somebody so much and revering somebody who really is kind of imaginary as much as they're a real person. They And they've had so much impact on you in your life. But the same thing I was talking about in Punisher, the song, you know, this kind of comparison to a person loving an artist the same way a person can love somebody they're in a relationship with because both in both situations, in both scenarios, you're loving the other person a lot more than the other person loves you, simply because maybe they know you less, or because perhaps they're more famous than you, or perhaps it's just because you care more, and that can be a sad thing sometimes. So I actually want to take a pause, because I relate to this so much. I think it's great that Phoebe Bridgers, you know, loves Elliot Smith so much because it makes me feel better about loving her so much because you know a lot of times I talk to people and they're like I've never ever met anyone who loves somebody they don't know as much as you love Phoebe Bridgers or an idol or something like that and it's true and sometimes I kind of feel like oh gosh I'm one of those people I am a punisher I know it but yeah it's the truth sometimes The people who impact you the most are people that are not actually in your life and they're people who put out their art that you relate to more than more than the people around you and that's it's just a reality of life i feel like phoebe bridgers is so vulnerable with her music that she does kind of give the same effect that elliot does where you feel like you know them simply because of their rawness in their art and it's something you know that inspires you that impacts you that makes you feel like you're not alone, like you know them, even though you obviously have no idea about their lives and who they are as individual people. That's just what happens with incredibly talented artists. You know, they make an impression. That's what makes them great. And yeah, I feel like that with Phoebe. And I actually, (laughs) I had a dream last, I was like crying over a dream I had the other night just because it was so like meaningful to me and truly an example of how much I am crazy for loving artist so much I had this dream that there was an apocalypse and I was driving on the highway and I see Phoebe Bridgers lying on the road staring at the sky with her car pulled off this you know the side of the highway and I stop and I get out of my car and she's like a hundred yards away and I see her her little platinum hair in the dark and she just starts running to me and I start running to her and I just hug her and we just looked up at the sky and it was like 
that's exemplifying, right? If I'm having an intense dream like this, like a soul connection to a person who I don't know, like that is really representative. And maybe I'll cut this out because <laughs> this is so weird. But it's true. Like I, I think it's very surreal when you can have dreams that feel real and will impact you and take over your whole day about a person you do not know and it you know it's the same kind of thing when you have a dream about somebody who you haven't seen in a while it's just like where did that come from it's just like it feels like a soul connection a little bit even if it's one-sided you know obviously it is but I really do feel like my soul sees a bit of itself within her and like that energy is connected and this is very delusional talking but I do I, I believe in that stuff I really believe that some souls are can feel connections to other souls because of the similarity in what they express through their art which is very exemplifying of who you know they are and how they feel and this dream really stuck with me I mean I'm thinking about it days later and every time like I was talking about it the next day I would just burst into tears because it felt so like emotional having the world end around me and having this artist who changed my life you know giving me a hug it felt very personal and and like a real soul connection it was really beautiful I don't know dreams feel like real life sometimes more than real life does to me but anyways enough about that that's just my example of relating to taking a punisher to the next level of being that obsessed and idolizing someone so much that they appear in your subconscious and give you hope and comfort. I don't know if that's a reflection on me as a person and my craziness or if it's a sign from the universe. But whatever the case is, it may I really relate to this line because of that. A person living up in my head. That took a was a strange tangent. <laughs> so I've been making music since you told me to do it. I just want to know who broke your nose, figure out where they live, so I can kick their teeth in. Indicating what I was, you know, being influenced by another person so much that you want to be like them and do what they do and how a person can literally change your life like an artist who you don't know and yet his music impacted her so much that you know selected for her the career that her life would be revolved around and that is it's a real thing how life can imitate art that inspires you and imitate other people who inspire you she said it's absolutely foundational it's like the Beatles to me here's another Beatles reference when she's talking about Elliot Smith and I mean that in every way and you know she references the Beatles in other songs like Moon Song and so I think this is definitely like a Beatles reference for sure as well as Elliot Smith it's kind of like both of her inspirations the way this song is just a reflection on how her music is a lot based on other people's music and what it did to change her life and how you know Phoebe's music is going to do the same to other artists it's just a cycle of the art world and in the music industry we are all being impacted influenced and inspired by other artists all the time whether it's conscious or not and that can change the way we lead our lives highlighting the connection 
we have to people we know or we don't know. And then to continue the Elliot Smith theory in this verse, she talks about how Elliot Smith had a broken nose and this kind of devotion you might feel to a person even if you don't know them where you want to actually like commit violence to vindicate them because they're not around or because you feel almost like this burden and this responsibility to them because of your love for them it's very cool thing this kind of connection you have to the point where you would do things for them to prove your love for them i feel like sometimes love can be very violent or induce acts of dramatics like that and impulsivity <laughs> this chorus I think this totally highlights the delusional state of being in love that young people any people can have where they're kind of realizing and maybe other people are telling them like this isn't love and you're just so overwhelmed with emotions that you're like fine if you're if it's not love then why don't you tell me what it is because this isn't this isn't a typical emotion and then I like that she says just you know let me pretend like, even if we all know it isn't true, <clears throat> cool about it reference, just let me pretend that it is. And I think that goes back to the cool about it line, just this kind of idea of let people live in their states of delusion and let people pretend the things that they want to pretend. It's only life. It's, we're allowed to believe what we want to believe, even if it isn't true. And that's, knows her idols and, and she's kind of succumbing to these what everyone else is telling her, like, fine, if you, I'll believe you, but just let me pretend that it's true. And just give me a break and let me just say that I'm in love to kind of simplify the emotions because sometimes, sometimes you just want a word for what everything that you're feeling and it's easy to title it love because you don't know what other words to define this soul connection that you have with a person, especially when it's one-sided and you don't know what the equivalent to a one-sided love is also just the fact that love is undefinable in general and you no one can tell you if you are or aren't in love it's up to you and your heart to tell you so line is my favorite line of the song probably one of my favorite lines on the album it's what really made me love this song because it feels so vocalizing so many people's distorted thinking where death is a lot scarier than living a life of misery and a life of weakening and suffering like it does seem sometimes like easier to just think of this void overcoming you in like a short-lived heightened amount of pain than a life full of elongated but maybe more diluted pain like just wanting to get over it it is true that a lot of people's mindsets will be like this life doesn't feel meaningful enough to want to live it 
especially with the trade-off of a worse outcome that is living a life that isn't good. I feel like this line is just representative of how skewed people's minds are and how inane their thinking process can be when they have mental conditions that are abnormal. Even the tiniest discomforts in life make it feel not worth living. Phoebe Bridgers, who, who openly has discussed having a past with depression and suffering from that, and also just like a kind of message to the universe where she's kind of begging for things to not get worse. Kind of expressing that if she has to choose between the two, she'd take death. I think it's also like telling people what they want to hear and then just coming clean, being like, that is not true. Let me rephrase. I don't care if I live or die. I just don't want to, I care if I'm healthy or sick. I think this could be a reference to mentally sick, physically sick, just the idea of weakening and slowly burning out rather than just a quick death. I think this is also like a common topic that she uses where she talks about like in Killer about death where it's not as scary and you know and I know the end too. She talks about death as though it's not a scary thing but it's the more horrible thing to experience is a life that where you are sick but you're not actually given the relief of death. And then it's just like she's kind of questioning her own mindset when she's admitting this like she doesn't understand every part of why her mind works that way. Wish I wasn't so tired, but I'm tired. And then, of course, the line, wish I wasn't so tired, but I'm tired, which is another reference, I think, to I'm so tired by the Beatles, like I was saying. You know, Phoebe talks about being tired in so much of her music, and I think the simplicity of this statement is so, it wraps up so much of what this song is about and what her music is about, and it'll come back later on in the record, but it's just an important, like, thing to note that sometimes a simple line like this is super impactful because it's so honest and plain and simple that it means so much wish it wasn't a sit way but it is and it reminds me of what i was saying about not strong enough same thing accepting reality even if you wish it wasn't real she doesn't want to relish in her like de- state of depression and she doesn't appreciate the romanticization of it but it's not simple and it won't go away that quick even if she wants it to change life isn't so mathematical that when you wish something could change it will sometimes you're just forced to live in a way that you don't enjoy physical exhaustion mental exhaustion fatigue a combination and i think this is really cool because the statement in itself reflects what it's saying because like you could come up with something super complex to express your exhaustion but because she feels so tired her mind just feels wear wear down and she's just saying exactly it as it is she's not trying to come up with something more poetic which indicates her exhaustion by saying she's so tired i think that's really cool and then the bridge is really cool this is so different from their music and it feels like looking at a sunset i wonder if i just think that because when i first listened to it i was looking at a sunset i was in the mountains and i was looking at like this pink sky and it was just like this glorious moment where i thought this is the most beautiful song i've ever ever heard like beautiful I'm not even saying it's their best song or it's the catchiest or it's the best lyrically. It's just beautiful. Like this part is 
insane to me. There are voices all coming in together, and it sounds almost like exhausted sighs being romanticized into beauty. is like a reference to I know the end where she says like close my eyes fantasize three clicks and I'm home and now she's saying a totally common feeling when you're like dissociating where you just feel like life is only what I see when I open my eyes and if I just choose to let go, I'll go away. It's this kind of belief that you are less than a person and you're more spirit and a ghost walking around than anything else. And then it's only a matter of time before you just let go of your pull with gravity to earth. And then this is really cool. I think the song replicates what she's saying because the outro really goes out right there as if she's closing her eyes and the world goes silent. And then it comes back in really fast, almost like she's opening her eyes again and seeing the world. It feels like this super, the song feels like something you're witnessing. It's so realistic. It feels like you're looking at an eye open and close, seeing the world in its beauty, closing your eyes and feeling nothing. is a beautiful song i they haven't really used an orchestra in their music which phoebe does a lot and i just love that she incorporated so many touches of her own personal music and her own personal lyricism to the song to really make it her own along with her voice i think it's great that she's the one singing this song it makes it definitely makes the most sense for what we know about her as an individual artist and it feels very personal the incorporation of the other two members singing their size as well really makes it what it is to be a boy genius song. It feels like this, almost like they bring her back to life and let her open her eyes and see the world a little bit. So it almost feels like a little bit of a love letter to them as well as to Elliot Smith, John Lennon, the Beatles, and a kind of grieving process of her relationship. I think another way that I could look at the reason why they put the music to kind of disappear and come back in is to emulate the feelings that 
persistent love can have where it never seems to fully appear and it continues to ebb and flow and go into highs and lows and that may be an unwanted thing. The next song on the album is called Leonard Cohen and it's a basically solo Lucy song and it could be seen as an interlude because it is only about a minute and 40 seconds but it actually is a very deep song that is a testament to their friendship through the poems of the artist they're referring to. It just has an entirely different sound than the last few songs, and it's just Lucy, the acoustic guitar, and it's in her genre of songwriting, where the lyrics are super deep in storytelling, and she'll take one specific memory that she has of something and use that as a metaphor to express something deeper, reflecting on her love for her best friends and how lucky she is to have them and that's like I think a pretty typical thing we're gonna we see in this album where Lucy's main focus of her songwriting or of her solo tracks on this record are focused around her love for the boys. It starts with her reflecting on a memory she has that actually happened with her and Julian and Phoebe. Phoebe put on the Trapeze Swinger, which is like a 10 minute song. And she was so into it that she forgot that they were going somewhere and she went off course of the GPS. Both of the other two knew. Lucy Dacus said, Yeah, so after our first writing trip together in April of 2021, mm-hmm. we were in, I keep calling it upstate California, Northern California, <laughs> and driving back to LA. And um, Phoebe was like, oh my God, have y'all not heard The Trapeze Swinger by Iron and Wine? She got on the interstate in the wrong way and I noticed partway through the song, but she was so serious. She was like, y'all need to shut up and listen to this. And so it was not going to be okay to interrupt the moment. It's like a 10 minute song or maybe more. And then Julie and I were like, that was awesome. Um you're gonna have to turn around though. So. <laughs> I saw um, it happening. I get this so much. Sometimes you're just, when you listen to music, especially musicians who listen to music while they're driving, it's not exactly a recipe that is the most smart. I just think of for me, when I listen to music, I get very distracted and I will totally zone out and get into this world of music where I'm so in invested in what I'm listening to especially I think what I'm driving with other people and I'm putting on a song and I'm like you need to listen to this yesterday I was driving with my mom and I was playing her yours and mine by Lucy Dacus and I was like you need to listen to this song it is so good and at one point she's like you need to focus on the road like do you even know where you're going I was like no I completely got off course because you know it's just you get invested especially when you want people to see a song that you love so much that means so much to you If you love me, you will listen to this song And I could tell that you were serious So I didn't tell you you were driving the wrong way On the interstate until the song was done I think one of the best love languages Or the one of the best things that a person can do Is listen to a song fully that means a lot to another person not just to humor them but actually focusing on it paying attention listening to the lyrics I mean that's kind of a part of what this podcast is I'm actually doing exactly what this song is saying I'm showing people 
why I love these songs so much, why I love these artists. It's not just putting on a Spotify song. It's like, no, I need to take this apart and analyze it for myself and for you. Like, I need to express my love for music beyond just putting it on in the car for you. I think it is. Like, if you love somebody and you listen to a song that's a pretty good example and pretty good proof that I take people listening to the songs I love very, very seriously. I want them to associate me with these songs when they listen to it in the future. Where she says, I could tell you're driving the wrong way on the interstate. You're not. You can't do that. You can't drive the wrong way on the interstate because you will get into a car crash or you'll have to backtrack really fast. And I think that's kind of a, you know, a hyperbolic metaphor for the fact that you know, Phoebe was so invested in the song that she didn't even realize she's driving the wrong way. It's just funny to me that if anybody interrogates that lyric, the only way that it happened is if you're in a Tesla. (laughs) 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 You know, like no, no, no missed exit would add an hour. hour. Mm. The giant iPad was screaming at us to turn around (laughs) and I wasn't. (laughs) And she's right. Like, Theoretically, you wouldn't add an hour unless you were purposefully just focusing on the music so much that you just didn't want to hear what the GPS is saying. It's just, you know, this whole first verse is niche and nuanced to an obviously very realistic scenario that happened to just them. And it's kind of an example of how their friendship is in itself very different and... They have all of these humorous little details in their friendship. And this just exemplifies some funny facts about who they are and how their dynamic works. They love each other so much that they're willing to add an hour to their drive in order to show their respect and love for another person when they say, if you love me, you'll listen to the song. And they take it that seriously. I think that's so great when somebody is such an artist that they will take sort of poetic lines or words and they take meaning into it like they prioritize different things than what most people prioritize I think that's so cool and that's like such an artist's dream to have people who think the same way they do like for me yeah it is more important for you to listen to a specific song that I'm really obsessed with than you know adding another hour to where we're going like priorities you felt like an idiot adding an hour to the drive but it gave us more time to embarrass ourselves Telling stories we wouldn't tell anyone else And then you find the silver lining in it is that, you know, they had more time to talk about one another and tell stories and just amplify their closeness. And then this, the chorus is pretty simple. It's just this one line. You said I might like you less now that you know me so well I think it co- uh, coincides with the True Blue song, another Lucy solo one, where she says it feels good to be so known so well, and now she's saying, I might like you less now that you know me so well. The reason that it goes so well with that line is because she likes herself less than she likes the other person, and because they're getting to know her, they're becoming her, therefore they're becoming also the parts of her that she doesn't like. You want to be known by somebody so that they understand you, but when they understand you too much, it starts to fade just the good parts of somebody knowing you so well, and now you can't hide from them anymore, the things that you don't like, because they know every part of you, and sometimes you wish you shared less, and that's just like another common social anxiety type of thing, where you you want to overshare so that somebody can understand you, and then you're like, 
want to go back because now those secrets are not just yours anymore. Somebody is having more of your soul within them and that can be a scary thing. Yeah, you have these bad parts of yourself that are known by somebody else so that when you want to hide from them, they're still there. And Tim Crater said, if we, we want the rewards of being loved, we have to submit to the mortifying ordeal of being known. And that pretty much sums up this line because... To be close, you can't just display your good traits. You also have to be full and well-rounded and express that you you have sides that you don't like about yourself just like anyone else. And when somebody knows you so well and when you get to know somebody so well, it can kind of take away that glory and the infatuation with them that you first have when you're just strangers and just getting to talk about the best parts of each other and only knowing the best parts of one another. And it's like... Once they know your secrets and you kind of don't have anything more to say, that glow can kind of wear off a little bit and you might feel less of an attraction or less of a like for one another. Let it go in one step. There's a crack in everything that's how the light gets in. And of course, she actually references Leonard Cohen by talking about a famous line from his song Anthem. It's also referenced in Lana Del Rey's song from her new album, There's a Tunnel Under Ocean Boulevard. I think it's interesting that this line is well-remembered by so many different artists, and I think there's a lot of truth to it, That, and it resembles, I think, exactly what she was saying about I might like you less now that you know me so well, that the only way that good and real love is brought in is by also by cracking that surface level of just showing the best parts of yourself and... Through that, you get to see someone's true and raw self, which is often better. It's a very positive way of putting the, there's something beautiful in all the things that have faults, basically. Even fault lines in Earth's surface, you know, they provide more surface relief to Earth. There's always something positive that comes from something negative. And I am not an old man having an existential crisis. At a Buddhist monastery, writing horny poetry. But I agree, never thought you'd happen to me. I never thought you'd happen to me. A very kind of critical and making fun of him a little bit. Despite being completely different from this man, she agrees. And she's kind of both criticizing and being in alliance with this man's beliefs and expressing that we can be so different and have similar morals. We all kind of want the same thing. We all want vulnerability and love and connections and to share with others who we are at the end of the day. And we all want to believe that there's good in the world despite all the bad as well. And I think it's just a really cool short song that summarizes their friendship so well and of course she ends it with them all singing finally it's this idea that you know for so long we think that we're going to be alone forever and then people come into our lives and it's just this endless form of gratitude that the world brings the people that change our lives and mean a lot to us in strange and mysterious ways and it can seem sometimes crazy that that could ever happen but it does kind of like how I was saying in true blue you never get over how the gratitude and the appreciativity of having somebody in your life who makes you a better person I also think it's pretty clever that a song that's essentially reflecting on somebody else's poetry has a very poetic feeling in itself 
it shows that kind of despite all these fears and contradictions that she's expressed, she's eternally grateful. Now, I'm really excited for this next song. It is in my top five favorite songs on this record. It's one of their best songs ever, I think. And it's my favorite song to see live because it's just, and I think it's their favorite to perform because it's the most rock and roll sounding song on their record. And it has some lyrics that are like, they altered my brain. They're crazy, just insightful. Like this song is everything I wanted and more from Boy Genius. It's the rock and roll that so much of their persona is. So this song is called Satanist. And it juxtaposes the last songs with this 90s rock style melody that has this repetition of really just two chords, kind of like in $20 on the electric guitar. I I think it's such a cool little just chord progression. Even that in itself is just so catchy and it feels like, like Weezer or some sort of 90s, you know, grunge band. And it's, but usually that are from male artists. And I love that this is their song and it feels like, a Julian song, you know, this is, it's the fourth and final song that's shared among the three of them completely, where they each have a verse on this record, and I would still classify it as a Julian song, just because it's lyrics that contemplate life, existence, and religious beliefs that kind of polarize you from society. It just has a crazy guitar riff also that you just cannot help but love. It is, it's so catchy. They actually performed this song on SNL last night, which they haven't done on television yet. And it was so fun to see because it's one of my absolute favorite songs. And yeah, they do it right after $20 when they perform it live in their shows because they go together really seamlessly and they're the two most rock and roll sounding songs. And when the verses end and they get into that, just the instrumental of the electric guitars, it's so fun to see them just absolutely rock out on stage. Like, they look like they're having the time of their lives. Julian's, like, flipping her hair and just totally rocking out. I love it. It's so fun to see. As we'll see, each verse has their own question that begins the verse, and each of them is different based on, I think, the singer. It feels like they probably wrote each of these based on their own beliefs that could be standing out against typical societal beliefs. I think each one of them is reflective on them and their music and the things that they talk about, things that they've read recently or learned about that really stuck with them and that are all kind of make them different. And the whole thing that they keep repeating is, will you do this with me? If I were to go against the law, go against society, would you join me? Would you still stand by my side even if I did something crazy? And it's this kind of question of what would your friendship withstand? What would your relationship withstand based on on the craziness of the things that people will do when finding themselves? And I think that blankets a lot of the topics that they discuss in this album in general. It's this kind of testament to their friendship and the dedication and loyalty a person has to their loved ones, even if they started to change or become Dream. 
begins the song with her verse saying, will you be a Satanist with me? The second part of the verse is cool because she's, she's adding on to that by saying, what would you give up for material things? Which is kind of what they're all talking about, really. And it's a continuing pattern of like how much of yourself would you sell off and how much of your beliefs would you change in order to live in the typical world of stereotypical what is seen as acceptable and normal in society and what would you do to get there would you throw away your beliefs and it's this juxtaposing thing of doing something that's so you know opposing society in the pursuit of getting materialistic things that will make you not opposing society these are all very rebellious statements that is expressing how how polarized society can be which aligns with the theory of the unexamined life a philosophical theory by Thrasymachus the philosopher who essentially believed the unexamined life was the key to success and that being you don't think need to think about your morals all that you need to do is think about how to get ahead and that's kind of what Julian is reflecting on here personal beliefs don't matter as much as ambition and getting what you want out of life because Life is short and the winners, you play to win, essentially. Even the line trying to score some off-brand ecstasy is kind of saying that materials will exist to replace natural chemical elements. People go out and buy drugs to make themselves feel happy. A endless cycle because... You're spending more money on drugs, which wear off and you feel worse than before. And then you have to go out and look for more to make you feel up again. And it's this constant cycle that can be representative of how our world is, where we have to go out and chase and make artificial happiness. takes over the next verse by posing a different argument, a different question. An anarchist is somebody who doesn't believe that the government's laws and societal rules are necessary or something to be followed. And this is another example of like a revolutionary concept. She discusses these things that she would do being an anarchist, sleep in cars and kill the bourgeoisie. Basically saying the opposite of what Julian was saying about buying a nice house in Florida. She's like, no, not even owning a house, basically being an outlaw against society. Speaking of philosophy, this goes into this Marxist theory, which is that aristocracy collapsed and in the 18th century this upper class was being under capitalism. The bourgeoisie were the ones who were like exploiting. They were like the middle class, but they were exploiting the labor of the working class and it's this idea that Marx had that the working class are going to revolt against all of the upper classes in this form of you know killing the bourgeoisie so that's like an anarchistic belief and that's kind of what Phoebe is reflecting on here like carrying out that prediction and then she goes into this line that I think is really cool <laughs> commenting on how people will just in general will say all of these things that they won't actually do just because it makes them sound good like it sounds great and you want to be 
this outlaw, but it's a lot harder to actually carry out because you want to live a safe life too. And it's this kind of internal battle of, do I want to actually carry out all the things that I'm promising that I'll do? Or am I just faking it? And inside I'm just a coward to actually go carry out the beliefs that I have. It's also a comment on Phoebe's performance on SNL where she she smashed a guitar on stage and she actually did come out and say this was like a cheap guitar and she smashed it on a fake monitor provided by SNL and it was all an act. In other words, she's acting out this act of violence towards materials and being revolutionary, you know, smashing her guitar and not caring about what anything means, presenting herself to media in a way that was not actually representative of what actually occurred, which is like a comment on social media and how we make things that are not real look real for of other people to see, not because it's actually what's going on and how so much of our lives we are just putting on acts to make us look unique and that we're actually all fakes. She's basically just saying all these rebellious acts that we associate with anarchism and going against society and being a rebellious person where you don't care about the value of money and materialism and the capitalist ideals of having all of these important and expensive things. Getting rid of them because none of it matters in the grand scheme of things. incredible instrumental break which is my personal favorite part of the song it's so pleasing to the ear that's all i can say rock music in general is a rebellious art and it's all about these kind of topics that they're describing and this feels like a very categorical stereotypical example of a rock song and i think they're both making fun of that and making it at the same time a perfect example of one while also criticizing what rock tends to paint in their lyrics male manipulator rock artist music Lucy's verse, I think it's my favorite. It was really stuck with me when I first heard it. She poses the third question, will you be a nihilist with me? And this is a very philosophical question. All three of them have been posing different types of philosophical questions, but here she brings out, you know, the classic nihilism theory, which is, of course, the belief that nothing matters and life is doesn't have an actual order. The rejection of all principles, the revolutionary idea that there is no established order of the world, the belief that life is meaningless, and yeah, it's just this skepticism against the existence and if people are really real and why we're put on earth in general. It's true, there is something very relieving to the acceptance that nothing matters and the acceptance that nothing you do is long standing and that we're all gonna die eventually, so. It's nothing is that important, and it's just life. How Sartre talked about in his book, Nausea, he had an epiphany that brought him this great pain, and it was like a horrible realization that nothing matters. But then there's also something relieving about it too. Nothing we do is necessarily going to matter in the end of the day. 
when she talks about Ecclesiastes from the Hebrew Bible and Christian Old Testament carries out those nihilistic beliefs in early text. Lucy actually talks about how she has pause nihilism, which is a, I think, a term she coined, which was the actual original title for her sophomore album historian and it's basically like this idea that you have optimistic nihilism where you basically instead of being like Sartre who was deeply pained by his realization that there is no moral order to life and that nothing matters this positive approach to it where you're like well nothing matters so why worry if now this is I think an example of how all three of them are different and all three of them may not relate to the same concepts that they're providing in the song because Julian has talked about how her philosophical beliefs regarding nihilism, like, it's interesting, but she can't fully relinquish the idea of goodness or purpose. Like, Julian has always talked about how her belief in God, her belief in the universe, and the everyone does have a purpose and a reason for being alive. So, like, they obviously have their own different opposing sides, which is interesting because maybe this song could also be not just a message to the world and to a vague and non-specific person, but it also could be to themselves, like... If we all have different beliefs and we all have different outlooks on life, would you still join me in that journey? How clever is the line, if nothing can be known, then stupidity is holy? Like, obviously it's a very broad and comical take on that, but it's true. Like, theoretically, she said that if the void becomes a bore, we'll treat ourselves to some self-belief. And now this is a reference to one more philosopher, Rene Descartes. I can never say his name. And you know, Descartes was a dualist, so he believed that mind and body were separate, but they they were connected in the way that they influence one another. You know, to compare to the ancient Greek pre-Socratic philosophers like Heraclitus, but there's also like more modern philosophers who still believe in that, like Darwin, uh, Frederick Hegel, Bertrand Russell, Baruch Spinoza, like all of these monoists uh, that believe that mind and body were whole and one. In comparison to like Descartes, who brought this idea of dualism to the table where like mind and body are separate and that, and it was kind of leaning towards pause nihilism as you know, Lucy says, where he's basically saying we may believe that there is no actual moral code to life and there may not be any point in existence, but the fact that we are questioning our own existence proves in itself that we are alive. So even in doubting your existence, it's a sign that you are alive and existing. Believing in yourself is a result of doubting yourself in a way. I think, therefore, I am theory. That has a lot of truth to it. So it's interesting that she's referencing this line by a dualist when she's asking about will you be a nihilist with me just kind of reinforcing this idea that exactly where her beliefs stand and it's just a question not a statement that she is one but she is agreeing with both of these philosophers in the sense that if she gets tired of just having emptiness and having this void in her heart then she'll give herself the benefit of the doubt to some self-belief which as Rene Descartes said by doubting yourself you're believing in yourself which I think is a super cool thing. There's an awesome instrumental rock break, but it starts to slow down and it really starts to sound like it's almost drowning the music. It's like literally drowning out and going into this slow sound that feels as if the music or like the stereo is going deeper into water, which is interesting because now they all come in for the first time and they're singing.
Julian said that what she describes the feeling of wondering things is that being really lonely and feeling the realization that trying to find your own meaning of life through philosophers and people who dedicated their lives to finding the meaning of life in itself is just sculpting your own mythologies about the world and crafting your own narratives. Do you wonder if you can even be seen as like what she was saying in Leonard Cohen, seeing somebody who you care about in their full light, seeing how they're growing and changing and searching for themselves and their meanings of lives, wondering if somebody can actually see who you are through your own dissatisfaction and confusion with who you are and what you believe in and feeling like you're slowly going to be pulled away from the people that you love if you are truly who you are and pursuing lifestyles that don't correlate with other people's beliefs and worrying that that will separate you guys which I think could be something to attest for the people who are marginalized in society such as women people say they'll love you no matter what, but they'll also start to drift away from you because your beliefs don't align with one another and feeling like you are polarized from the world and it doesn't matter from who specifically, but just in general. And a seismic drift is obviously something that happens slowly and it's, you know, the earth slowly pulling away from itself and it's very hard to reverse once it happens and that's kind of what they're describing highlighting the fact that people who do actually pursue these philosophies that are different from society will slowly feel like they are outsiders and aliens from the world which is why they say leaning over the edge of the continent you can't really come back once you take that step eventually it'll just drag you under which is what I said was aligning with the sound of the audio quality in itself which feels like you're being pulled under this surface of water until it sinks you completely and you are no longer a part of the world because of your belief system being so polarized from the rest of the world's belief systems. And that kind of covers why this song is all questioning and this self-doubt and wondering if you're going to be alone or if if you're going to go on to this journey, someone who you love is going to join you and keep you company so that you're not entirely polarized from everyone you love. It's just really covering this question of subjectivity and what is correct and if anything is correct in that matter. We're all just adhering to one person's beliefs that is biased to what they personally believe. The next song on the record is We're In Love, which is a self-referencing title. Lucy sings this song solo and it's a reference to the fact that they are in love with one another. They do love each other and I think it's this very unique play on I think it's a very unique take on love and platonic love and how you can be in love with your best friends, not in a romantic way. You can be in love in a platonic way too. They are proving that love is a lot more complex and deep than just the separation of platonic and romantic love and how to express each one of those in their individual ways and that, you know, they're kind of, you know, smudging that line a little bit in between what is considered applicable for platonic versus romantic love and I find that really revolutionary and it's not really seen before and I mean I think that their love in general for one another is something so powerful that we don't often see in platonic relationships uh, especially when people are in rock bands together you we want to believe that artists are always friends in bands and in this case it really is true that they're they always say that their love for one another comes before their band and that is the most important thing in their lives. It's what makes this music what it is. It's what makes it so real and believable and personal. It's a direct exemplifier of their love for one another and that's what makes it work so well. Some backstory on this song is that Julian didn't want this song um, when she first 
heard it. She thought it was too vulnerable and personal. And she said on NPR that it's still a learning process for her to know the difference between being scrutinized and being seen. Lucy has said that she wrote this song, and that's very fitting because it is a love song after all, and that has been Lucy's theme of solo songs on this record. She said that she sung it for the first time for Phoebe while they had just woken up and they were in a bed, and she sang it for Phoebe a cappella, and they both cried. Yeah, Julian had a little bit harder time accepting that this song would be on the record because it felt so vulnerable. And I think there's a lot of truth to music in general, especially notable of these three artists. Their music tends to be very personal and introspective on their own lives. And I think there is something to hearing your life and your love story be described and written by somebody else. Because Julian does talk about a lot of personal things in her own music. But I'm sure what I can understand from her perspective is that it was probably hard to hear something so personal that felt more like a love letter being written to her. And she didn't know if she wanted the world to hear it. And also, as she said, there is not everything that's shared and being seen isn't being scrutinized. Like, there is this chance that we will be seen by the world and appreciated and loved for what we put out and we won't be solely criticized for it and that goes for individual relationships that we have in our lives that not everything that we share even if it feels personal it doesn't mean that people are going to judge us and dislike us for it there is a chance that we'll be loved more because of our vulnerability takes a long time to figure out in your life when you're highly self-critical this is definitely one of the most beautiful love songs of all time they think it's one of the saddest songs not because it's actually a sad song only sad because of how beautiful and personal and eloquently written and vulnerable it is it doesn't need to be sad because it's describing something that in itself is innately sad it is like a real tearjerker because of how how strong love can be even the piano the way that it's produced is very soft especially when you're listening to it in order of the track list right after you hear the crashing rock and roll sound of satanist and then you get this super personal and melancholy song that is actually about something that everybody can relate to they are in love it's very clear from this song in itself and the song feels very stripped back and independent and it's just lucy's deep vintage sounding voice that's so beautiful with the piano that julian's playing phoebe's playing the slow strumming of the guitar so the three of them are each giving a little bit to this song yeah these lyrics are some of the most heartfelt lyrics i've ever heard and she describes being in love as simply the capability of somebody being able to hurt someone and break somebody's heart the way to kind of gauge love in lucy's words is by the amount of ownership you have on somebody's heart and i think that's a really telling way to understand what it feels like to be in love with somebody whether or not they love you back in this case obviously it is a reciprocated thing and knowing that somebody else who you have no control over has so much control over you and your feelings is a very crazy thing that you are not alone and that you can be so independent on another person she talks about this act of the symbol of scarring one another and cutting each other's hands in order to share blood which is like what you would call blood brothers pacts which is kind of another reference to their adopting of male 
practices. But in this case, she's saying we don't have to do that in order to prove our love and loyalty to one another because we know on our own that we do love each other and we don't need that kind of symbol to present to the world and to show what we feel about one another because we know it is there on its own. But it is interesting that she says that because they all do have matching tattoos. It's the tooth on all three of their wrists that is the boy genius symbol that they all have sharing with one another that is the cover of this album. You could absolutely break my heart That's how I know that we're in love I don't need the symbol of a scar So put down the knife we're not swapping blood. And also she's kind of breaking down this barrier that love needs to be a painful thing and that it can just be on its own true and loyal without needing to harm one another to reach that point. And she's talking again as her the pattern of this album, as I've said, about stripping off your barriers and your depths of your heart, showing all of that and burying that to another person. And describing that vulnerable self not as something bad, but as something akin to, you know, a painting. There's a reference to the painting by Paul Cezanne of the bathers. She kind of describes this painting by calling their skin golden porcelain. Porcelain being the most, something very fragile and delicate. Which is a reference to being undressed and showing your raw self to another. Which is something I think of when I think of that is how they will take off their clothes during their performances not in a way to be in any way sexualized but in a way to take down some of the stigma and taboo of that revealing of their bodies as if it's something bad as women which is again going towards that wanting to be uh, equal to male performers in general and removing the line between what men and women can do isn't it enough that we strip down to our skin cold and porcelain like bathers in a painting isn't it enough that we strip down to our skin cold and porcelain like bathers in a painting and i told you of your past lives every man you've ever been it wasn't flattering but you listened like it mattered really honest and something i think so many people can relate to feeling like you're going through your own personal struggles in your own life, feeling like ashamed of all that you have as a burden on your back and not wanting to share it and feeling like you might be insane and worrying that you actually will be crazy and it'll make a person leave because of your mental state and hoping internally that they will love you despite all of the sides that you will reveal to them, even your craziest sides, even the ones you don't like about yourself, even the ones that make you feel unstable, like you are not the person that you want them to think that you are and them looking past that because they see all of the good parts 
love in itself is an overlooking of a lot of things and not loving someone in spite, but actually because of all of their sides to them. I think everyone can relate to that fear of somebody leaving because of something they can't control, which is just their mentality. And that happens too. Sometimes the people you love the most do leave because they can't handle you, but true real love, the kind of love that cannot be replaced or replicated on the ones that last, and this goes for friends, family, and partners, they will stay around no matter what you're going through because because you're worth it and you deserve it and you don't deserve to have more pain in a unconditional way, not just conditionally based on if they like certain parts of who you are and the sides that you show to them. And it's not a selective thing. You have to be able to love every part of who somebody is in order for you to actually love them and deserve the relationship with that person. You can't be around only when they're doing good and when they're doing best. Real love comes from being around somebody through thick and thin, true blue, through all of the good sides of them and when they're at their lowest and at their highest. And that's not to say that you need to go to the extremes of having a savior complex and needing to save them. It just means still loving somebody if it turns out that they are insane. She says, I know what you'll say, but it helps to hear you say it anyway, which is so vocal and so true. I feel like these kinds of lyrics aren't often said so simply, and I think that sometimes that's the best way to vocalize these thoughts, is just by saying them as simple as they come to you in your mind, which is, it's true. uh, Affirmations and sometimes repetitions that you're okay and that you're loved is the best thing you can give to a person even if it feels like you're a broken record and you're repetitive it still helps it always helps to tell people that you love them it's important to seek affirmation and give it in return to keep people strong feeling appreciated and wanted which a lot of people may not always feel and a lot of people may have a lot of personal insecurity based on their own lack of love for themselves some October in the future I'll run out of trash TV And I'll be feeling lonely So I'll walk to karaoke Sing the song you wrote about me Never once check in the words I hope that no one sings along I hope that I'm not a regular If you rewrite your life May I still play a part In the next one Will you find me? I'll be the boy with the Incarnation Pinned to my lapel Who looks like hell And asks for help And if you do I'll know it's you I can't imagine you without The same smile in your eyes There is something about you that I will always recognize. 
there isn't really a second verse or a second chorus. This is a differently structured song. It goes straight into this bridge that's beautiful to me, and it's a longer bridge. And it's basically this picture of if somebody were to leave her in her life or in their relationship, how they would always stay in her mind forever, and how she doesn't forget about loved ones just because she wants to or because they left which is kind of going back on the line from Quill about it where she's trying to forget about it, but she knows she can't. She describes this random episode in her life where she will run out of distractions and can't keep escaping her past and must accept the fact that a person is gone but not need to accept that she needs to move on and be happy. And I think this specifically refers to a imaginary scenario of in the future, if she wasn't as close to who are musicians, she would still sing a song that they wrote about them, about her, and kind of expressing that she wouldn't need to ever check the lyrics in a karaoke bar because she remembers them so well that she remembers every line and every word they ever said about her, whether it was in song or in just her memories. She holds everything to her heart and it stays there forever and that it won't go away as quickly as they as they did. Obviously, this could be referring to more than just the boys, which I think they've all proven to one another that they love each other and will be with each other forever. But remembering everything a person told you, which is so true when you're in love with somebody, whether or not they stay with you, you're going to remember all of your conversations that you had together and remember everything they thought about you, whether that's good or bad. Wanting to no one to sing along because you want this to be just a moment between you two and also hoping that this isn't a constant pattern. And also this idea that if somebody changes that they will still want you in the next life that they make for themselves within this life or in the next life thinking about, you know, that we come back and re reincarnate into different people or animals or spirits that we will still be wanted by that person that we're in love with in the next life too. You know, you'll meet that person again in the next life, wherever that place is. This idea that when you lose somebody in this life, it's not forever and that you guys will see each other again and hoping that they will find you and choose you again. The Boy with the Pink Carnation is a reference to Elliot Smith. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers changed the line of just from a white carnation, which Lucy originally wrote, to pink carnation because Elliot Smith wanted to wear a white suit to the Oscars with a pink carnation and the Oscar said it's corny. So this is like a tribute to him. The pink carnation kind of being like a symbol of how to remember that person and how to find them again. Almost like a, a message to one another in that moment. Like, this is how you'll know it's me. And it's this idea that you'll never forget about another person, no matter what they look like or who they've become. And if you don't remember, I will try to remind you of the hummingbirds. You know And the baby scorpion And the winter halo And the walk we took in the redwoods And if they can't remember you in their next life, then she has no problem in reminding them of all the memories that they shared together at one point that she remembers and they forgot. I think for her, she would be the hummingbirds, which she says is like resonate with the person to bring back their memory of them and remember their past life together. The hummingbirds is like how Lucy wants to be remembered 
in her next life, it will remind the person of who she was to them. And she says, you know the ones, which I'm sure is a personal reference to memories that they have that cannot be speculated on and cannot be noted because it's personal. These are memories that are theirs alone and can are not to be seen or understood completely by us. And I think that's really important. And I think the baby scorpion, you know, that's a reference, I think, of the moon tarot card where there's scorpions in the water. And that could be perhaps a reference to Phoebe, the winter lunar halo, and the walk they took in the redwoods, I'm sure was another memory that they had. It's so pretty, them describing these personal memories in this song. I feel like that's not done enough in music, and it paints such a great imagery in our heads to see these natural elements that, that are like the most beautiful parts of nature to symbolize what their friendship means to one another, you know, selecting the most beautiful things and referring them to their own friendship. And then she actually does a reference to a Taylor Swift song, This Love, where she says, I could go on and on and I will. And how she's basically saying she would eternally and forever talk to the, the people that she loves and tell them about her memories with them, even in the next life, even when they don't remember until they do remember her again. I think this is one of the most beautiful songs in the whole world. It's so special and the musical quality is so heartfelt in itself with just the simplicity of it. You really can focus on what she's saying and the softness and tenderness of this music is replicating how they feel about one another and the fact that they are truly in love and this whole record is a testament to I could go on and on and on and I will go on and on and on until it all comes back. Whenever they perform this song, somebody always gives Lucy a pink carnation and she gets to hold it and then throw it back to the person or to the audience to receive it as like a symbol of a transaction of love, which I think is really sweet. Um, that's where I'm going to end this part of the record. I'm going to do the last two songs in a separate podcast episode just because I have a lot to say about them and I want to keep these to a normal length of episodes. So I hope you enjoyed.